this is a huge opportunity for Ohio State. You can completely evaporate all the hate that you've received over the last few weeks. You could completely dispel any of the people that have said, well, you don't belong, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs, you lost your last game convincingly on your home field. A lot of people, a lot of naysayers about the Ohio State program will all be silenced if you can pull it off against the Georgia Bulldogs. Always College Football with Greg McElroy is presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. Hello and welcome in. Today is a Tuesday edition of Always College Football. We really appreciate you being with us from wherever it is you're coming to us from. Whether that's the ESPN YouTube channel or if you're here with us via the podcast, thank you so much. Like, rate, and subscribe. We are so incredibly grateful to you and we know that it's a lot to do so during the holiday season. So thanks a lot. Subscribe before you get in the car. Subscribe before you get on a plane and listen to the show. Get caught up and get dialed in for bowl season because we've got a lot of games coming up. Here in the next couple of days, have one yesterday, have one today, have one couple tomorrow. We got lots to look forward to here as it relates to the bowl season. We also have a lot to look forward to as it relates to teams that need a win in the bowl season. That's what the show is going to be essentially dedicated to today. We're going to rank the top 10 programs that absolutely must win their bowl game. So basically on a, on a scale of like, Gotta have it, too. It doesn't matter whatsoever. These are the gotta have it's, all right? And there's probably a few up there near the top whose programs are in incredible standing. And yet, if they lose the bowl game, it's going to be really, really ugly in the offseason. So, a lot of gotta have it's that we'll get to. We look forward to giving you our top 10 teams that absolutely must win their bowl game. And then, two... We're going to update you a little bit as it relates to the quarterback situation in the portal. There's been a lot of news the last couple of days. We're trying to do it in chunks so we can put like four or five guys in there together. If we were trying to do them rapid fire, it'd be almost impossible to keep up with. But a couple of big names have officially either one announced that they were going to the draft, two announced that they were coming back, or three entered the portal and now have found a new home on the other side. So let's not waste any time. Let's get down to it. It's time for Let's Talk About It, presented by AT&T 5G. All right, let's talk about it. There are some teams and some fan bases and some feelings around some of these postseason games where you feel like it's kind of a little bit of a boiling plate, right? Like there are some things and some emotions that are building up within some, not all, but within some, that feel as though they're entering into this upcoming game and it's a must-win scenario. Well, honestly, if you really look at all these bowl games, a lot of people are going to try to make the argument that they don't matter and ultimately it's an exhibition that's really more about the bowl trip and the bowl experience than it is about the outcome of the game. While all that's fine, I'm going to respectfully push back against that idea partly because this is the last time we're going to see these teams for the next eight months. And if you go out and lay an egg in the bowl game, a la the Florida Gators, guess what? You're going to have to talk an awful lot about that performance and defend that performance several different times throughout the course of the offseason. They matter. The outcome matters. But in some particular cases there is an outcome or two that might matter a little bit more. So, in a roundabout way, 
feel like we needed to put together a list of the teams that absolutely gotta have it in the bowl game. Now, there were some honorable mentions and some notable exclusions from this list. Probably the most notable exclusion was Florida State, partly because I feel like Florida State at this point, their season has already been deemed a massive success. Even if they come up short in the bowl game, doesn't really change the perception of the program. For instance, if they come up short in the bowl game, we all still feel pretty good about what Florida State's going to be next year, no? So that's why they were excluded. There were a handful of others that were also excluded. That one, however, was the notable exclusion that I think most people would probably say, how can you possibly say that they don't need a win? They do. It would be great to have it. But ultimately, our perception of the program and the trajectory of the program is not going to be impacted. So here's a list of the 10 teams that need the bowl wins most. At number 10, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Obviously, it's been a turbulent and tragic couple weeks for Mississippi State and their program. The untimely and heartbreaking passing of Mike Leach suddenly has obviously had a ripple effect throughout not just Starkville, but all of college football. And I think it would be fitting for Mississippi State to go out and to play incredibly well against a high-quality opponent in Illinois in the ReliaQuest Bowl. If they can go out and get a win, that would be enormous for their fan base, for the players, to bring positive memories to Mike Leach, knowing just how tragic the last several weeks have been. It's be Zach Arnett's first opportunity to take the field as a head coach, and if they can get a win, that would be enormous. So I had them... At number 10, at number nine, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish playing against South Carolina. I know a lot of people will probably look at it and say, well, you know, I mean, Notre Dame, shoot, man. I mean, they have a great offseason coming up. I know I feel very optimistic about what we've seen from them from a signing day perspective. We all know what's coming. We see the class, assuming they can hold on to everybody, which is an assumption. Assuming they can hold on to everybody, they're well positioned to be competitive at the highest levels of football for the foreseeable future. Marcus Freeman's done an amazing job going out and creating relationships, and it does feel as though there's a bit of a buzz, especially as it relates to Notre Dame on the recruiting trail. But I say that with a big but. Remember what the commentary was about Notre Dame as they sat at 0-2. They also connected that 0-2 start to Marcus Freeman's debut as the head coach in the Fiesta Bowl last year. Remember, they lost that game to Oklahoma State, and everybody, all the headlines will denote you know, Notre Dame's coach, 0-3 start to his career, all this other stuff, right? It was easy, and it was low-hanging fruit. Now, this is just the fourth time in the last 22 bowl games that Notre Dame has been favored, dating back to 1994. Each of the previous 16 times Notre Dame has faced a ranked team in the bowl game, it was an underdog. This is the first time favored over a ranked team in a bowl game since 1993. So it's been a while. They were favored over number seven, Texas A&M, back in 1993. So since 94 to now, it's obviously a very, very long time, lot obviously on the line for Notre Dame. Kind of rare air here as a favorite 
going up against South Carolina. But you also look at it too. They're trying to avoid losing their third consecutive bowl game. Now, Notre Dame has only lost three straight bowl games once when it lost nine straight from 1994 to 2006. Of course, remember, we just referenced it a second ago. Marcus Freeman lost his debut last year, but to lose three straight bowl games, it's not necessarily an indicator of what they could do in the future, but it might give a bit of a glimpse into how they're handling the postseason, which could have an impact on them in the future, assuming they get back into the playoff at some point here very, very soon. So would love for Notre Dame to end their season on a high note because I know it was very sour there in the regular season finale against USC. So they come in at number nine. At number eight, and I'm this just goes to show you how bunched up all these teams are between eight and one. These teams need wins badly. This team, maybe as much as any other, in an effort to salvage what was once a very promising season, this team needs a win. At number eight, the Syracuse Orange. It's been a tale of two seasons for Syracuse, man. I mean, feel awful for them, really do, considering they start 6-0, and absolutely smoking teams, I might add. Average points per game margin of 23 points per game in their victories in the first half of the season. Well, the wheels have come off, so to speak, in the second half. They're 1-5 in their last six games and have been losing games relatively close in some cases by an average margin of 7.7 points per game. The offense has had their moments, but not consistent. The defense has had their moments, but not consistent. If they can end on a high note against a high-quality Minnesota team, that would go a long way into creating and recreating that momentum that was created by Dino Babers and his staff there in the first half of the season. Remember, this was a team that was ranked up there. I mean, top 15 team until they lost a couple games and it got real sideways as the season went along. So ending season on a high note would be massive for the Syracuse Orange. Hopefully they can. In at number seven, kind of similar to Syracuse, I might add, Oklahoma State comes in at number seven. And Oklahoma State, at one point, guys, I mean, Oklahoma State was one of those teams we're sitting there saying, hey, I got news for you. Oklahoma State might be in a position to maybe make the playoff. I mean, that's how good they were. At one point, when TCU, when they went on the road TCU, this was the number eight team in college football. Number eight in college football. And I might add, they had TCU on the ropes. Remember, I mean, this was a team that had TCU down 30 to 16. They're heading into the fourth quarter and they just couldn't hold on. TCU scored 14 points unanswered in the fourth quarter to force overtime. And then they scored a touchdown in overtime after they defended first. Then they kicked a field goal only to give up the touchdown a couple moments later to TCU. So this is a team ranked eighth in the country when they took on the TCU Horn Frogs. Since that point, they have lost five of seven, including losses to West Virginia, including a loss at Oklahoma in what was a really ugly start and just a bad performance overall. They lost at Kansas convincingly. They lost at Kansas State 48 zip. It has been ugly for Oklahoma State down the stretch. They've also had issues with guys into the portal. 
guys coming out of the portal. There's just been a lot of problems surrounding the second half of the season, and they've had a ton of injuries as well. So you've had young guys that have been forced into the lineup, some of which were not prepared to be taking on this type of role at this stage of their development. So ending the season on a high note after going two and five in their final seven games would be massive. Like I said, team that was at one point number eight in college football, now needing a win badly here at the very end to potentially get and change the narrative a little bit about what's happened to them down the stretch. In at number six, you're noticing a little bit of a theme here, are you not? In at number six, the Kansas Jayhawks, okay? Three consecutive teams, Syracuse, Oklahoma State, Kansas, three consecutive teams that were absolutely on fire at the midway point of the season, only to see things kind of come unraveled as the season goes along. You look at Kansas and where they're at. It's not often that we see Kansas playing in a bowl game. It's not often when we see Kansas playing in a bowl game of this magnitude. Liberty Bowl is a legit bowl game and against a legit opponent, in Arkansas, who has some talent on both sides of the football. But this feels like Kansas's year. This feels like the stars have kind of aligned. They've had some miraculous comebacks. They've had some incredible offensive performances. They've actually, at times, been the feel-good story of the college football season. Well, it wouldn't feel that good if ultimately Kansas, after what was a great start, they've hosted game day. They've been a perennial mainstay in the in the Play on the rankings. I mean, Kansas has had a lot to celebrate this year. I mean, the best by a mile football season that they've had since 2008. But the reality is they've lost six of their last seven to finish one and six. Remember, that losing streak started against TCU. They were number 19 in college football at that point. That losing streak started against TCU. They lost three in a row. It was a really, really bad stretch. And they finally got to bowl eligible by beating Oklahoma State. And they beat them badly at that point. That was at home. And they lost their final three games of the year, none of which in particular were very competitive. Got their doors blown off by both Texas and Kansas State. And they lost fairly convincingly on the road in Lubbock against Texas Tech. I think for Kansas to just make that story feel good again and to create some momentum for Lance Leipold heading into the offseason, a win would go a long way toward people remembering this season as one of the best seasons for Kansas football in quite a while. And two, one other thing that I thought was somewhat significant, a win against Arkansas would be their fifth win against a Power 5 program this year. Well, in the five years combined leading up to this season, they had just five wins. So think about that. They could double up their wins against Power 5 teams in one season compared to what they did in each of the last five years. Very, very impressive season for them nonetheless, but a win would be the cherry on top of what's been a great year. In at number five, the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, a lot of people and Tennessee fans are going to sit here and think to themselves, well, to be honest with you, we don't have Hendon Hooker. 
We don't have Jalen Hyatt. We don't have this. We don't have that. Our offensive coordinator is now the head coach at USF. I mean, there's there's a lot of people that will take the field that will be associated with the Tennessee program that did not play a featured role throughout the 12-game regular season. But not all that dissimilar to what we just said about Kansas. This has been by far the best Tennessee team that we've seen in quite a while. They broke some serious, serious streaks. Beat Alabama for the first time. Absolutely dump-trucked LSU at their place there in early October. This has been a season to be celebrated for so many reasons. And Tennessee fans, I think, regardless of the outcome, should look back at the season and say, man, we did some great things this year. We should feel really good about where we're at. But ultimately, Tennessee doesn't want to just be good. They want to be elite. And in order to be elite, you have to beat the teams like Clemson. And with a big stage, if for whatever reason you play poorly, that will be how this team is unfortunately remembered. Now, they'll remember individual games. They'll remember individual moments. And they should. And those moments, like I said, they will live on well into the years, way on down the line. And people will continue to celebrate and tell them about the time that they threw the goalposts into the Tennessee River and, and all these amazing moments that happened this season, for sure. But ultimately... If you lose two of your last four games, it doesn't feel quite the same. You could lose three out of your last five if you lose against the Clemson Tigers there in Miami. This is the first time, too, that Tennessee, at this stage of the college football calendar, has a platform like this. I think it'd go a long way in trying to create a... Uh, a little bit more brand awareness for recruits. I think it will go a long way in being the topic du jour. Remember, that is a unaccompanied window there on Friday night, December 30th. Saturday, you have a bunch of games. It's kind of convoluted. The 2nd of January, kind of convoluted. There's a bunch of games. Just It's almost difficult. But on Friday, there is one game in primetime, and it involves Tennessee. If they go out and they get backhanded by Clemson, that will not help them at all, especially knowing all the goodwill that's been built up throughout the course of this season. If it comes crashing down there on a massive stage, it could really affect the momentum or the perceived momentum that's been created with an incredible 2022 campaign. All right, moving on to the team that needs it the fourth most, right? I mean, the number four team on the list of teams that got to have it in the bowl season, the Oklahoma Sooners. You're going to say, well, hang on a second, this is year one. I mean, it's Brent Venable's first year. Great. What I also know is that this has a chance to be the first losing season in Oklahoma football history in the 21st century. Like This is potentially, potentially the first time that they're going to be under 500 since 1998. That's crazy. 23 consecutive season in which they've finished over 500. That's the second longest active streak in America. The only team that has more above 500 finishes, the Boise State Broncos, and they're at 24. Oklahoma 
is at 23. So they have to have it in this scenario from a historical significant standpoint. Look, ultimately, is it impactful for the program if they lose this game? Like, are people going to start souring on Brent Venables? Are they going to start saying he's not the guy? Like, no, I don't think there's necessarily this deep-rooted animosity right now with what the team did this year. I think most Oklahoma fans look at it and say, hey, it's not to the standard that we've come to expect. That goes without saying. But at the same time, this is a bit of a transition. And look at how many guys that were once on our roster that have gone elsewhere. This was going to be a challenging year. No denying this was going to be a challenging year. Now, challenging to the point which they finished under 500? No, I, I would not have gone that far. But I did think that... When I saw the Vegas win total of nine, nine and a half, whatever it might have been, that was an under for days, right? So either way, you look at Oklahoma and we'll ultimately evaluate what Brent Venables is going to be based on how he recruits. Does he go after and continue to stay very active in the portal? They've already done a really good job of identifying guys, especially along the defensive front that are going to come in and hopefully make an immediate impact. But if they finish 500, it brings to an end one of the great streaks in college football of a team that has consistently, for the course of the last 25 years, been very steady and very predictable as far as their win-loss total is concerned to see them falling all the way to the Cheez-It Bowl and to see them sitting at 6-6 six and six with the possibility of falling to 6-7 and seven, considering they are a heavy underdog in this game is something that I am not used to seeing. So Oklahoma, to keep that streak alive, absolutely has to have it. In at number three, some people might disagree with me on this one. Fair enough. I have Utah as the team that needs it the third most. The reason why, Utah got there last year. Utah got to the Rose Bowl game. They got to that point. It was a seminal moment for the Utah program. And they finally got over the hump, won that elusive Pac-12, and got to the top there of the Pac-12 by representing the league in the Rose Bowl where they get to play against Ohio State. And they were this close to being able to pull it off. Unfortunately, Cam Rising got banged up. Unfortunately, the defense didn't have their best stuff that day. And ultimately, it went a little sideways in favor of the Buckeyes. Not sideways, but it got to the point in which it was the Buckeyes' day. Either way, this feels like a situation where you got to have it if you're Utah. Utah traditionally has been a phenomenally good bowl team. Really good. In all of Kyle Whittingham's years being the head coach there of the Utes, they are always ready to play come postseason time. But this year feels like the year they almost have to win the Rose Bowl. Reason why, Penn State's good. That's a good football team. But Utah's better. If not now, if not with this team, then when? Because it doesn't feel like the Pac-12 is going to get any easier. Look at how good the league's gotten. Look at what Oregon State's doing. Look what Washington's doing. Look what USC's doing. Obviously, USC is going to be leaving. But you also look too, bowl affiliations are probably going to be leaving here as the playoff expands. So the Pac-12 champion likely won't be going to the Rose Bowl here in the years to come. It'll be a quarterfinal matchup, semifinal matchup, depending on the year. So the Rose Bowl is going to look very, very different here in the years to come. So unless you think Utah is going to win the Pac-12 next year, you might be bold enough. I, for one, am not bold enough. I don't think that's going to happen. But 
I do think that they'll be really, really good. I just don't know if they'll be as good as they were this year. This feels like the time that they have to bring it home. And hopefully for the Utah Utes, they're a slight favorite. They'll be able to pull off what they were unable to pull off last year. They come in at number three. At number two, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, you're going to sit here and say, well, they're in the playoff, man. I mean, playing against the number one ranked team, like that's a tall order. Sure, fair enough. But right now, whether you agree or not, there are some naysayers about Ryan Day. There are some naysayers about the Ohio State program. There are question marks about their ability to compete along the line of scrimmage against the top teams in college football. You might say, well, that's just flat out wrong. They can. They just gave up a few big plays against Michigan. Fine. Interpret it as you will. That's your decision. If you think that there is a huge, huge problem with Ohio State, you're allowed to think that. If you think that, hey, man, they just had a tough day, you're allowed to think that too. Either way, if they go out and get beat by Georgia the way they got beat by Michigan, people are going to lose their mind and probably should, I might add. You look at the personnel on that roster. The team has great, great top-line talent, elite players at the skill positions, elite quarterback, elite running back room. When healthy, they haven't been healthy. It feels like the whole season, guys have been in and out of the lineup, but hopefully they'll be at 100% or is that about as close to it as they can possibly get. Pretty good players along the offensive line, but an offensive line that has had some ups and downs this year. And then you look defensively, pretty good edge defenders, pretty good linebackers, both Steel Chambers and Eichenberg doing an excellent job. Pretty good safeties. Corners a little bit suspect. But either way, Ohio State has had their manhood challenged. Whether you acknowledge that or not, they have. And I don't think it's entirely fair because I just think they had a couple of bad run fits and gave up a couple big plays against Michigan. But either way, people now have question marks about the toughness of the program. That's not a good thought. And to know that you're playing against one of the toughest, most physical teams in America on the biggest stage possible, this is a huge opportunity for Ohio State. You can completely evaporate all the hate that you've received over the last few weeks. You could completely dispel any of the people that have said, well, you don't belong. You don't deserve to be in the playoffs. You lost your last game convincingly on your home field. A lot of people, a lot of naysayers about the Ohio State program will all be silenced if you can pull it off against the Georgia Bulldogs. You come in at number two as a team that's got to have it in the bowl season. And then at number one, the Texas Longhorns. The Texas Longhorns need a bowl win more than any other team in the bowl season. Now, people are still going to continue to say, well, give him time. It's a young roster. They have opt-outs. Look at the guys that aren't going to participate in the bowl game. It feels like there's natural excuses built in on a fairly regular basis. Now, you know me. I love Steve Sarkeesian. I believe in the trajectory of the program. I think they're going to be really good next year. But... They lose some veteran pieces. They lose some key playmakers. They lose the best running back in America. They lose an excellent 
defender in Demarion Overshone. They lose an excellent backup running back in Roshan Johnson. They lose a lot of pieces. They lose a lot. They do. They also lose Coburn. Like they lose a handful of guys that are the real deal on both sides of the ball. And you're going up against a guy that's also early in his tenure at his respective school. Now you're going to say, well, the Pac-12 and the Big 12, they're not comparable. 10 and 2 in the Pac-12 is not the same as 8 and 4 in the Big 12. Fine. I don't care how you feel about it. All I know is that Kalen DeBoer brought Michael Penix in. Michael Penix is the leading passer in America. Nobody's thrown for more passing yards per game than Michael Penix. And you look at the numbers that he's been able to accumulate. Clearly, he's doing something right. Kalen DeBoer's in year number one. If he can get to 11 wins with that roster in that league, and you're going to say, well, the Pac-12 is not great. Look at the Pac-12 right now. Pac-12 is legit, guys. Really, really good. You might not like it, but the Pac-12 is deep, and it has high-quality players scattered throughout. Well, if Kalen DeBoer in year one can get to 11 wins and Michael Penix can come in as a grad transfer and have an incredible season, then tell me what the deal is with Texas. I know they've lost a lot of close games this year. A lot. Four games that they lost that were all decided by seven points or fewer. Either way, if you now fall, lose this game, and you fall to eight and five, sure, it's nice to see Texas back in the postseason. It's great that they finally got to this point. It's great that all their young players can capitalize on the 15 bowl practices that you're afforded. But this is one that you got to win. You're sitting there right down the road from Austin, Texas. You're sitting in San Antonio. You should have a decisive margin of fan support there in the Alamo Dome. If you can't take care of business here, that's a concern. And it will lead to a lot of negative press, I think, heading into the offseason. If you lose as a favorite, essentially as a pseudo home game against a team that also pressed the reset button just in the last 12 months. Let's Talk About It is brought to you by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G. This episode is brought to you by AT&T, official sponsor of the college football playoff. Is checking your team stats at 2 a.m., watching highlights while eating with buddies, or catching the game during a wedding all too much? Nope, because too much college football is never too much. And AT&T 5G keeps you connected all season long. 5G requires compatible plan and device. 5G may not be available in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Okay, a lot of news and notes as it relates to quarterbacks here in the last handful of days. Told you a little earlier, part of what we're trying to do when it comes to quarterbacks is we're trying to kind of package them up three, four, maybe five at a time. Because if we did a standalone segment for every guy, we would have more content that we'd even know what to do with. And by the way, it could become outdated in a heartbeat because a guy could decide to enter the portal, exit the portal, then jump back in the portal only to exit again. Like we could have some brew McCoys 
in the quarterback mixes. Remember, he was at like six different schools before he ever played. Now has, of course, had a great year at Tennessee. So this is how we're handling it. We're just kind of packaging up quarterback news in groups of four and five. If we don't get to your guy today, don't worry. Check back in a bit. We'll probably get to it. Let's start with a guy that has had a phenomenal season. He has announced that he's going to the NFL draft. But his words, not mine, still have business to take care of. That's Max Duggan, the quarterback of TCU. He's had a terrific year. Should come as no surprise that he is deciding to forego his final year of eligibility and effort to become a professional a little earlier. Let's be honest. Is he really going to improve his draft stock next year after what he did this year? He doesn't have great length, but at 6'2", with some mobility, I think he's got a chance to catch on somewhere very quickly. And I think so many people in an era in which we're still trying to get to the bottom of the competitiveness, how much they love football, how like all these other things, all these question marks that you have to ask when it comes to the quarterback position specifically, we know that Max Duggan loves to compete. We know that he has also had to overcome tremendous adversity in his career in an effort to get to this point so he doesn't take anything for granted. Where will he come off the board? I don't know. I'm not an NFL draft expert. I don't look at the rounds and the mock-ups and things like that. He feels to me like a day two guy, maybe late day two, early day three. But ultimately, it's going to come down to how does he run? How does he throw in the combine when measured up against some of the other guys? I think he has plenty of arm. and I think he is really accurate. But I also think there will be knocks on him because people will say, well, you had some ups and downs in your career and you're the product of a system that's extremely quarterback friendly. So I do think people will knock him. But either way, also, by the way, when are we now putting out graphics for announcing that you're declaring for the NFL draft, but you're not going just yet. Like what's the, what's the point in putting it out today? I don't know, <laughs> but either way, Max Duggan has officially announced that he's going to head to the NFL. But like I said, at the very beginning, quote, we still have business to take care of End quote, meaning he's obviously going to play in the college football playoff game against the Michigan Wolverines. He finished second in the Heisman trophy voting, man. What a great year. For Max Duggan, we wish him well as he translates to the next level. But hopefully for him and for TCU fans everywhere, two more games before that official decision is made. Moving on next to a quarterback that also had a terrific year. Some people th thought he might actually enter the NFL draft, but ultimately he decided to come back to school. Bo Nix has officially announced that he will return to the Oregon Ducks. Now, it was pretty cool, the video that they put out. It should come as no surprise. This came late on Sunday night that he was going to be returning in Oregon. Check it out on Twitter. Pretty cool little graphic that they were able to put together. But I'll say this. It's pretty awesome to me to see that this is a young man that could have potentially had his name called in the second or third round. But the upside is there. The guy had a great year. A great year. So unlike some others... He knows that even though Max Duggan, for instance, if Max Duggan came back, he's probably a third rounder, fourth rounder this year, probably going to be a third or fourth rounder next year as well. But if you look at Bo Nix, he's probably a you know third rounder this year. But if he came back, he could be an early second, even a first round pick. Who knows? Even a top 10 pick, depending on his development here over the next 12 months. So I like that he came back acknowledging that there's still a lot of value to be created 
on the first contract. The other thing I love too is this was a guy in Bo Nix that committed to a school. And you're going to say, well, hey, hang on a second. What do you mean? He committed to a school. He predict- committed to a university. And part of the reason why he committed to that university was because of Kenny Dillingham. Kenny Dillingham was the offensive coordinator there at Oregon all season long. Of course, had worked with Bo Nix before, had created and developed a great relationship with Bo Nix over the time of his recruitment and obviously in the last 12 months when he decided to call Oregon home. But when Kenny Dillingham left to go become the head coach of the Arizona State Sun Devils, there was real legitimate question marks about whether or not Bo Nix would say, man, I don't know if I want to start from scratch do it all over again with a new guy that I'm not familiar with. I don't know if I want to go back and do this again. Maybe I go and transfer, play my final year at Arizona State with a coach that I'm very familiar with. Maybe I go to the NFL, and even if I give up a couple spots in the draft, then so be it. At least the most recent tape that I put out there for the scouts was pretty good tape, even though it got a little banged up down the stretch. But if you think about what he accomplished this year, nearly 4,000 total yards of offense, 41 touchdowns, all while leading them to a 9-3 and record in what was a resurgent year in the Pac-12 for so many different teams. Now, still has some, quote, unfinished business to take care of, didn't play as well down the stretch, but also got a little banged up down the stretch. But either way, him returning to Oregon for 2023 immediately makes them probably not the favorite. USC will likely be the favorite with what they bring back. But Oregon, at the very worst, maybe second or third in the Pac-12 when it comes to the preseason prognostications. So great that Bo Nix returned. It's a huge coup for Oregon. And I also think it's a really interesting deal there in the Pac-12 as far as the pecking order is concerned. Another notable quarterback entered the portal a while ago, by the way, and now has found a home on the other side. Quarterback Jeff Sims has committed to Nebraska. Originally, he was, as he went through the recruiting process, he was originally committed to Florida State. Well, late in the process, he decided to shift quickly and and not transfer, but decommit from Florida State and commit to Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. And in his career, he's done some pretty nice things on subpar teams. Thrown for nearly 4,500 yards, has had 30 touchdowns, has had 23 interceptions to go for it, but he also has added 1,200 yards on the ground and 11 touchdowns as well. So statistically speaking, a guy that never really reached his ceiling, but my goodness is the talent there. He has unbelievable mobility. He's bulked up quite a bit in the last couple of years, so he's developed into a more physically mature athlete. But here's the issue with Jeff Sims. One, he struggles at times with inconsistent decision-making. Two, he's also been a little bit inconsistent throwing the football as far as his accuracy is concerned and misses throws that he shouldn't miss. But the ceiling remains insanely high. Now, you get him there in Lincoln with Matt Rule and with that quarterback group, and you look at where they're at from a quarterback depth standpoint, This is a situation where he could very easily step right in and become the starting quarterback day one. I also think, too, it's going to be a little bit interesting. If you look at what Matt Rule was at both Temple and Baylor, they didn't often utilize. Now they had it, but they didn't often utilize heavy quarterback run. 
One of Jeff Sims' best attributes is his ability to create with his legs and be involved in the run game. So it'll be really interesting. They've also, by the way, they've hosted Malik Hornsby, the transfer from the, from Arkansas, on a visit over the last couple of weeks as well. So maybe it's a little bit of an indicator as to what this offense is going to look like under the new staff. I'm very excited about what Matt Rule is going to do. You know that. I mean, I have talked for a while about how much of a massive difference maker he is when it comes to being able to coach and change and adjust all the different aspects of where they're at. But now with the new staff, a new regime, implementing a new system and all these other things, man, having a guy with a talent level like Jeff Sims could go a long way in allowing this transition to be a little bit more smooth. So also, we also know too that Jeff Sims was highly regarded prospect and a lot of people were in on his recruitment. There are question marks like I alluded to. He is not a flawless prospect by any stretch of the imagination, but he was highly desirable to a lot of different schools. It further proves that Nebraska cannot just attract players but they're a huge player in the NIL world as well. And I would imagine that NIL probably factored into this decision because Jeff Sims had other suitors. So congrats to Nebraska. Congrats to Jeff Sims. And fingers crossed, hopefully, he can be the guy that revitalizes this very, very proud program. Other quarterback news and notes. Haynes King, formerly of Texas A&M. Y'all remember, this young man has been the opening day starter for the last two years for the Aggies, but unfortunately for him, he hasn't been able to retain control of the job. He entered the portal on December 2nd as a graduate transfer. He's thrown for over 1,200 yards. The problem is decision-making with Haynes King and occasional sporadic accuracy. 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns, but in addition to those seven touchdowns, he also has six interceptions. He also, of course, too, has a little bit of an injury history, got banged up and missed all of the year for the most part there in 2021, got a little banged up this year as well. So it's going to be really important for him to kind of get back on solid footing. And he has officially announced that he's going to be attending Georgia Tech. Now, what does this mean for Georgia Tech? He's a little bit like Jeff Sims. They're awfully similar. Amazing track star speed, great explosiveness with the ball in his hands, but the accuracy from time to time is a little bit hit or miss. And he does have a tendency to not just throw picks, but he'll put the ball on the deck as well. Haynes King's got to clean up his ball control, but the upside is there. Jimbo Fisher has long raved about what this young man can do at the line of scrimmage as well. Great football acumen, son of a coach there in Longview High, Longview High School in Texas. So remember, this guy also has crazy track star speed. He anchored the four by one of the Texas State Championship track four by one team. Like we can flat out roll. We're talking about 10, five, 10, 400 guys. So he could flat out roll Olympic level speed, maybe not like top levels of Olympics, but we're talking about a guy that can flat out get it with the ball in his hand. So he will be interesting piece to add. Now, if they can just hone up his accuracy a bit and get him to stop throwing into traffic, he could become a very solid starter for Georgia tech here in the near future. And then finally, UCLA has found the quarterback that is likely or potentially going to replace Dorian Thompson-Robinson. They went to the portal. They evaluated the entire world, it felt like, 
and they have determined that Colin Schley is going to be their guy. I think they had other offers out there. If you read between the lines and you look at who was kind of flirting with UCLA, sounds like they were in on a few different guys, but Colin Schley ultimately is the guy that's going to go to UCLA. Says committed, put out the graphic on Saturday night. Now he's a junior, threw for over 2,100 yards, 13 touchdowns, but it's also what he can do with his legs. If you look at UCLA's offense, a lot of it is predicated by using quarterback run. A lot of it is predicated by the quarterback making post-snap decisions in the RPO game. Now, first two years didn't have a lot of opportunities, but had a bit of a breakout year this year in leading Kent State. And it's understandable that he would enter the portal too because Sean Lewis, his head coach, most recently left for Colorado. I believe Colorado probably not in on Colin Schley though because they have Shadour Sanders. And Deion Sanders, of course, is probably going to prioritize his son over just about everybody else. So nine and three season for Chip Kelly last year. They're going to be losing DTR after five years. I mean, the guy has been starting at UCLA for a really long time, but it does feel as though Schley stepping into a fairly good situation. Remember, DTR this year took some significant strides, accounted for over 2,800 yards throwing it, 25 touchdowns to the air as well, but also added 600 yards rushing and 11 rushing touchdowns. They also, UCLA, he's going to be in a quarterback competition. They got the four-star Justin Martin that's going to be arriving here in a couple weeks, and they also have the redshirt sophomore Ethan Garber's who was the backup last season. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly who emerges from that quarterback derby. But Colin Schley, a prospect with decent upside coming from Kent State, is going to be heading to Westwood to be a part of the Bruins. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, great show today. Really appreciate you guys being with us. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We're going to dedicate a show to recruiting. Tomorrow's signing day. I know it snuck up on me as well. So we're going to have Tom Luganville on the show to help break down some of the uncommitted prospects. And we're going to get into a few of the classes that have been really noteworthy, some of which in particular are not really used to seeing in the top two or three, top five or six. But man, they are closing strong and a lot of guys are starting to make up some ground, including some coaches that have been on the carousel, now have found a new home, trying to invigorate that recruiting class. So it's going to be a fascinating show tomorrow. Look forward to it. Make sure you check back in with us. But for all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. This has been Always College Football with Greg McElroy, presented by AT&T 5G. Too much college football is never too much with AT&T 5G.
Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.